Chapter Twenty One of Rival Pitchers of Oakdale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan. Rival Pictures of Oakdale by Morgan Scott. Chapter Twenty One: A Persistent Rascal. Nearly always it is false pride that spurs on the naturally decent fellow who realizes he has made a mistake and knows deep down in his heart that the course he is pursuing is wrong. Thus it was with Phil Springer. Time and again his conscience condemned him and his judgment bade him to come forth like a man and own up to his error, but his pride would not let him yield. And so Phil found himself sulking at school, seeking to bear the atmosphere of one who had been treated outrageously and growing more and more resentful and sullen. As time passed, and none of the fellows came around to coddle and coax him, he had felt certain that he would be approached by some of them, and repeatedly he had rehearsed the speeches by which he would let them know exactly how he felt about it resolved carefully to avoid uttering a word which might convey the impression that he regarded himself as a singular wit at fault. But no one, not even Cooper or Tuttle, approached him, and he began to believe that the time had spent in constructing and committing those speeches of mingled offense and accusation had been wasted. He had once been deeply concerned in a plan by which Rodney Grant had been practically ostracized by the Academy boys. And now, to his deepening rage, while Grant floated high on the wave of popularity, he felt himself ignored. Phil was naturally a sociable fellow, and a very little of such treatment was sufficient to make him suffer keenly. Nevertheless, he sought to hide the fact beneath a haughty and disdainful air which was, of course, his disposition and temperament, hardly qualified him to do that. His sister, who had not attended the game at Clearport, was the first of his family to learn that he had fibbed about the game, and this she did not discover until the following Monday morning, when her chum, Leela Barker, told her everything. Oh, Phil, Sadie had said when she found the chance to speak with him privately, what made you tell father such a whopper about the game? Why, it wasn't stopped by rain at all. And they say you ran away right in the middle of it, and that Roger wanted you, after that, when they got to hitting Rodney. And that you couldn't be found anywhere, and that all the fellows are sore on you because you skipped out and that— Oh, cut it out, interrupted Phil. What do I care what they say? Let them talk their heads off. But Phil— persisted the girl. What made you do it? You don't want to give everybody down on you, do you? They can get down on me or not, just as they please, he flung back. I know when I get a rotten deal, and Roger Elliott or Rod Grant or anybody else can wipe his feet on me. More than once, that's all. On Monday, when school was over for the day and the fellows hurried off to the gym to dress for practice, Phil walked stiffly out on the yard and turned his steps toward home. 
It is true that he longed and almost hoped to hear some one of those fellows calling after him. But not a soul seemed to observe which way he went, and resentful anger blazed yet more fiercely in his soul. Thus it was upon Tuesday night, when he observed that Roy Hooker was one of the fellows who hastened toward the gym, which was enough to convince him that Roy had practically been taken onto the team to do a portion of the pitching. When his sister again tried to talk with him about baseball that night, he cut her off in such a snappy, savage manner that she really was frightened. That night, however, he did not walk down the path to the gate in view of the scholars, so that they might take notice that he declined to accompany the baseball squad. Instead of that, he dodged back round the corner of the academy, crossed the yard at the rear, and took the footpath across the field to High Street. He was lonely and cast down and bitterly disappointed, for he had not sound the professed friendship of his chums of yesterday, and found it very shallow. Not one of them had shown the decency to give him a word of cheer. They were willing that he, who but a short time ago they were regarding as their star slabman, should slide back into the shadows and forgetfulness, while a practical stranger from a distant part of the country filled his place, it was hard to believe of them, but he told himself he was glad to find out just what they were. Had Grant himself shown a further inclination toward friendly advances, Phil might have met him halfway, but the Texan had some pride of his own, and he was not the kind to seek continued rebuffs. He had known that Springer was ready and yearning to yield, Doubtless Rod would have lost not a minute, again putting forth the hand of friendship, but, being unaware of what was passing in Phil's heart, and feeling that already he had tried to do the right thing, the boy from the Lone Star State remained aloof with the others. Halfway across the field, as the path curved round some bushes, Springer came upon Herbert Radcliffe, sitting on a stone, manicuring his nails, with the file blade of a pearl-handled knife, a cigarette clinging to his moistened lips. "'Hello,' said Herbert, with no intonation of surprise, as he looked up. "'How do you happen to be dodging across this way, Springer?' Phil was annoyed. He had never liked Radcliffe. Still here was someone to whom he could talk, and desire to chin was strong upon him. He stopped. "'This is a short cut for me,' he explained. "'What are you doing here?' trimming my nails a bit. I have to do my own manicuring down in this jumping-off place, and I have never had time for it in the morning. Barely get to the old academy soon enough to escape the tardy record. Sometimes I don't escape. Never knew you came this way before, even if it is a shortcut. In a hurry? Yes, uh, yes, uh, no, not exactly, but this was a good way as any. You don't seem to be practicing with the great oak Dale Nine, said Herbert, bringing forth a fresh cigarette. I'm surprised at that. Are you? Well, you needn't be. In lighting the cigarette, Ratcliffe was seized by a choking fit of coughing, which led him to wipe his eyes with a dainty silk handkerchief. I know I'd catch a beastly cold coming home through the rain the other night on that old lemon of hookers, he said. When he could get his breath, I hate a cough. It always seems to tear my lungs out. Next thing I know, I'll be throwing up one of them. 
You don't look well, said Phil. I have never felt better. Never mind, I'll get over it. But, oh, you bet your life you'll never catch me on a motorcycle again. Rotten, dirty things, anyway. Simply cover you with dust when they don't paste you with mud. Hey, have a smoke? Don't care if I do, said Phil, accepting the pro-offered cigarette case and selecting one. I don't make a practice of using these things, but I need something to cheer me up. Ratcliffe also supplied a match, and then motioned toward a nearby stone, urging Phil to sit down and make himself comfortable. "'You haven't looked hilariously cheerful of late,' said the city youth. "'Sort of taken your downfall to heart, haven't you?' "'My downfall?' "'Yeah, so you're down and out, all right. "'And you must realize it. You do, too. Your proficient pupil, Mr. Rodney Grant, has tumbled you off the pedestal and taken your place.' "'I wish you wouldn't talk about him,' cried Phil. Herbert shrugged his narrow shoulders and smiled. "'You don't like him any better than I do. That's plain. "'You thought you liked him once, but you found him out. "'He's a conceited pup. "'Strange how everybody seems to fall for him. "'Even Leela Barker. "'Now she's just about the nicest little clipper around these parts, "'but she's got country ideas.' And she can't see the difference between a gentleman and a common cowpuncher, which latter Grant is, and mighty common at that. Your sister's Leela's chum. I should think you might get your sister to open Miss Barker's eyes to that fellow. Couldn't you show him up somehow and and fix it so your sister would put Leela wise to him? If I could, I wouldn't take all that trouble, replied Phil, who seated himself and was puffing at the cigarette in a way that threatened to demolish it in short order. He isn't worth it. Perhaps not, but I should think you'd want to get back at him after the turn he's done you. I never saw anything dirtier, never. After you coached him, he simply wormed his way into Elliot's favor and crowded you out as soon as he could. He's got everybody saying he's a better pitcher than you ever were or ever could be. You bet he doesn't miss a chance to sneer about you behind his back. That's him. I'm glad you've shown some spirit enough to resent it and not to go crawling after him or any of the rest of that bunch. You'll never see me crawl after anybody, cried Springer fiercely. And Grant better keep a decent tongue in his head. He didn't think because he happens to have an ugly temper and belongs to a fighting family that everybody is afraid of him. I can stand a lot, but there's a limit. Herbert turned his head away for a moment to conceal the gleam of satisfaction that sprang into his eyes, coughing behind his hand. You made a different stuff from that slob hooker, he said. I didn't think that hook had some sand and spirit, but I've changed my mind. He has just about as much backbone as a jellyfish. He can talk and blow, but that's all wind. You're a fellow with genuine spirit and pride. "'Nobody wipes his feet on you.' "'Not if I know it,' growled Phil, flattered by the words of the crafty fellow. "'Of course not. And that's the way it's to be. "'It's only the marks who let themselves be used for footmats. "'Hook is a mark. They'll use them, all right. "'They'll do the dirty work than they would have given you if you let them. "'Well, Grant will get all the glory.' "'Spring a laugh. Perhaps he won't get as much glory as he expects.' Clearport came near batting him out. Wait until he goes against Wyndham next Saturday. 
Now you're talking, exclaimed Radcliffe with enthusiasm. There will be something coming to him then. I fancy it may be possible that you would enjoy seeing Wyndham beat Oakdale. It's a sure thing, you know, answered Phil, who had been cleverly led into making such a confession. I hope Wyndham eats them alive. Your desire will be gratified. Wyndham will make monkeys of them. You're competent. Dead sure. I don't just see how you can be. I suppose you heard how Wyndham actually buried Barfield last Saturday. The score was seventy to three. Something awful. But Clearport came a mighty near beating Wyndham the week before. Herbert winked wisely. Maybe they did, and maybe they didn't, he said. Oh, but they did. They batted Wyndham's new pitcher, Newbert, off the slab. At this, Radcliffe laughed. Tell it to the Marines. I happen to know Dade Newbert. We were chums. I own up. I was surprised when I heard how the porters had biffed him. Wrote him asking about it. He had been out the night before the game, out with a hot bunch playing poker, till daylight. He didn't want to pitch anyhow. But the captain just shoved him in, so when he got tired and Wyndham seemed to have a safe lead, he just lobbed the ball over and let Clearport hit it. Of course he was taken out. That gave him a chance to look on while Twit Crowell did the heavy work. If that's right, said Phil, Newbert can't be trusted. Why, he might have thrown the game anyway. Oh, he reckoned Crowell was good enough for the porters, that's all. The rest proved his judgment correct. Still a fellow who'll t take such chances is liable to do anything. He c can't have any real loyal interest in his team. If he took a notion, he'd throw a game. Uh, you must remember, Radcliffe, that Newbert doesn't belong in Wyndham, and really doesn't make any great difference to him. Whether that team wins or not, of course, he, if he's pitching ordinarily, he'll do as well as he can on his own account. Let me tell you, Spring, old fell. He's a Lulu. There's nothing down in this neck of the woods that can pitch with him. I'm betting that he makes the Oakdale batters look like monkeys. You haven't had very good luck, luck betting, have you? Might have done better, admitted Herbert, shrugging. I'll even it up all next Saturday, though if the pikers around here have sand enough to give me another show. Perhaps you will, and then again, perhaps. I'll bet you five or ten even money that Wyndham wins. Thought you went b broke last Saturday. I'll have some more money by tomorrow. Oh, I don't want to bet. I hope Wyndham does win. It will make me happy. Then you'll be happy, all right, Bo. Looks like the fight for the championship will be between Wyndham and Oakdale. If Wyndham takes the first game from Oakdale, the chances for this town will be mighty slim. Herbert rose to his feet. Oakdale hasn't one chance in a hundred to win next Saturday, he declared in a manner which seemed to donate that he positively believed what he was saying. Dead lucky for you, old man, that you're not going to pitch. Your dear friend Grant is enjoying great popularity just at this present, but even the dummies will realize that he's a fourth-rater after they see him pitch against Newbert. They knows what I want him to do, and for old time's sake he'll do his prettiest. And, by the way, if you want to coin some easy money, just find a sucker who's ready to back Oakdale for a little bet. End of chapter 21 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan